We are so, we are so humble today to be able to, to talk about Jesus Christ and what he has done for each and every one of us. And it is difficult, it's difficult to really grasp the concept of how the Lord has done such a great thing. And I just want to, to tell you that we cannot take moments like this lightly, that we cannot just gather religiously at Easter and not let it prick our heart, not let it move deep inside of us. This is meant to be remembered and change us forever. Uh, the Apostle Paul was making reference to the Lord's Supper, stating that as often, or, or actually it was Jesus, as often as we do it, which, which tells us that when we do the Lord's Supper, it should be an often remembrance of what the Lord has done, not once a year, not just during a holiday, but this is an often thing, that we should never let it get old. And so we want to make sure that we take the advice of Paul and Jesus on the Last Supper, on remembering Jesus, because this is very relevant to the church today, that we never forget about what the Lord has done. Most of us start to get a little bit a little bit casual in our worship and we forget what the Lord gave up for us. And we have got to make sure it's stirred from time to time inside of our hearts. And that's the whole point of this weekend. So while we do celebrate today and we are thankful that Jesus come out of the grave, Jesus has all victory, but that's not good enough. We don't want just Jesus to have victory. We want people to share in the same victory that Jesus has. We want people to have the same resurrection power as Jesus Christ. He didn't do all of this just so he could keep being the king. He does not change. He's always been the king. He did all of this so that we could reign with him in heaven one day, so that we could be kings, so that we could be princes on the earth. He did this for us. He didn't do all of that for himself. He was already right, already holy. The whole purpose of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, resurrection is so that you and I could not be afraid of the sting of death, so that you and I can make sure that we had a hope that is eternal, that we have a hope that will last forever. And so we want to we wanna push ourselves forward today, and we want everyone to listen in and hear the Word of God because we have something very important to talk about on this Resurrection Sunday. As your pastor to the members of our church, uh, I love you so much and we, we hate not being able to be together on this Easter. Probably the first time you as a Christian have not been gathering with a church family uh, over the years. And so it's a sober moment. It's also a reality of the church. When you study the first church, there are many times in the letters of Paul you can almost feel like his heart was breaking whenever he would write, I wish I could be with you, but I can't. And, and we are now feeling the, the true words of Scripture in 2020 in the modern day church. We're feeling what it's like to have to be the church and not be able to be around each other. But that first church survived and it thrived. That first church had a mighty revival and they were locked up in prisons and they were not able to get around each other. And so I want to encourage all of you today and tell you that this is no demonstration of a lack of revival today. This is no sign that we cannot go forward today. Just because Easter can't be in a building today is not an indicator that we're going backwards, but it's actually going to be a fuel for our fire to go forwards. I truly believe that today more people will be watching churches online than inside of our churches in all the years that we've been gathering in church. 
Could it be that the Lord is using this to force us to take everything we do online? The online world has for a long time been the devil's playground. It's been a place of evil, a place where news media and all kinds of people have a voice to say what they want to say. Nobody knows the truth, but now the church has been forced to go online. Now the church has been forced to share the gospel to the whole world, not just in our buildings, not just in certain locations, but now all you've got to do is put it into Google. I want to watch a church service today, and there's going to be thousands to choose from. That is the power of what the Lord has done on this Easter service is the entire world can now join in. Everyone's Facebook pages are being flooded right now with church services. On this day, on this day, people that don't know Jesus are scrolling through. They're scrolling through and they're saying, you know what, I want to go check my Facebook out. But you know what's happening? They keep seeing preachers preach about Jesus. They keep scrolling through hearing about the resurrection. They can't get it off their news feed. So, let this word bless you today. I want to talk today about the two keys of re-entry. Everybody say re-entry. Wherever you are right now, say re-entry. Getting back in to the place we used to be. That's what Easter's about. It's about getting back in to the place we used to be. It's about the key, the keys of getting back to where we were, getting back to where God wants us. I take you today to very sober passages that we are familiar with during this Easter season of Luke 23 and 33. The Bible says in Luke 23 and 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. They crucified Jesus on a cross. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, these two thieves were there beside him on their own personal cross. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is being crucified in this passage of Scripture, and the soldiers that are doing it and the crowd that talk them into it, the mob that said, kill him, Jesus forgives them. And he says, they don't know what they're doing by killing me. Forgive them. They're killing him on the cross, and Jesus says, while they're killing him, forgive them. I think you and I can agree today that if somebody were slowly killing us, it would be one of the furthest thoughts from our mind, forgive them for killing us. But this is the love that Jesus has for humanity. And so he sits there on that cross in pain, thinking of forgiveness for people who are doing him wrong and offending him. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and verse 35 says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews... Why don't you just save yourself? Some of the most nasty words you could say to someone dying on a cross. 
It's one thing for you to kill someone. It's another for you to mock them while you kill them. And Jesus looks at the mockers who are killing him and enjoying every second of it. And he says, I forgive you. Jesus is not forgiving people who are sorry. Jesus is not forgiving people who are doing it because they have to do it. Jesus is forgiving people that are enjoying offending him. Look at the context of the story. This is not a church service. This is not people coming to the front. This is not people running down here saying, I'm sorry, Lord. And the Lord's saying, it's okay, I forgive you. It's a people that do not deserve it, that did not ask for it. And still Jesus says, forgive them. It's different than the way we were raised. That's not how we do forgiveness. But this is the, this is the whole concept of Jesus on the cross. They mocked him. They came to him offering him vinegar. And they say, if you're the king, then save yourself. I want to take you to the rest of the story that's important for today because it, it explains things better as we get forward into this. Mark, Mark chapter 15, 37, 38, 39 says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice. This is the same scene, a different writer. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Jesus dies on the cross right after saying things like, forgive them. And the veil, in verse 38, and the veil of the temple was rent, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. A massive, thick, woven curtain was ripped in two when Jesus died on the cross. Everybody say access. Everybody say forgiveness and access. The veil was ripped in two. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that, he so cried, saw that he so cried out, gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. So today I want to take this topic, two keys of reentry. God bless you. You can be seated today if you're standing. If you're standing for that reading of the word, God bless you. You can be, you can be seated. It's very clear throughout the scripture. It's very clear just living life that we offended God. We hurt him. We absolutely 100% hurt Jesus Christ. We hurt him. We offended him. We did him wrong. We trespassed against him. He didn't deserve it, but we did it. I guess you could say technically Adam and Eve offended God. They offended God. They had the perfect life. They could not complain. It was literally God's will for man, Adam and Eve, the original plan, for them to live in paradise. I want to make sure it's very clear to people who don't understand God. God's original plan for us, for you and for me, was not to live in this life of sin, of having to dig out thorns, having to go through the pains of labor. It was never the original plan of God for us to live without him. 
This is right now not the will of God for you. If you're not living for him, if you have no hope, if you have no peace, if you have no paradise, then you are not living in the original will of God that he had for humanity. When he made us originally, he set us up in a paradise. Somebody's like, well, I don't understand why God this, God that. Well, I don't understand why man would give that up. Somebody says, I just don't understand why God, well, no, no, I don't understand why God would love us so much. He would make us and put us in a garden that had perfect temperature and we didn't need a covering and we weren't embarrassed and we weren't shameful. We didn't even need to have any clothing on because you could walk around in God's presence and nobody would judge and nobody would fight. And it was a perfect paradise. It was the perfect place to live. All the food you could ever want was provided by that God and he walked in the cool of the day with his creation. It was perfect. It was perfect paradise there was only one rule if you want to stay here if you want it to stay like this just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you mean i get to have all of that for one rule i get to keep all this for one rule yeah that's how good my god is that's how good my god is he will give you paradise in exchange for not eating one tree that's how good our god is can you imagine the audacity to have all of that given to you and you actually walk up to that tree and you grab that fruit off and you eat it why in the world would you eat that tree and give up that paradise because it's in our nature to have to have everything. It's in our nature to look at how good it is and it not be good enough. It's in our nature to say, you know what? He's God. I'm not. And while I like all this paradise, it's not good enough for me. And I'm going to listen to that voice of the devil. And I'm going to go try to be a God on my own. It's in our nature to try to just say, forget you for all you've done for me. Who cares that you're good to me? I want mine right now. And Adam and Eve traded the paradise. They traded paradise for a personal vendetta and a selfish motivation. As a result, with paradise not being good enough and giving in to the temptation of Satan, they did that only thing they were asked not to do, the only thing. And as a result, paradise was shut down. Kind of like all these, all these nice resorts right now, shut down. Like Disney World, shut down. Paradise was shut down. Because of one selfish choice, paradise, perfection, was canceled. You know what happened to them? The Bible says Adam and Eve were escorted out of paradise. And they couldn't get back in to the original will of God for their life because God said, you can't come back into fellowship with me because you are wrong with me. I will let you live, but you can't live like this. I know lots of people that are living, but just not living like that. 
You know why you're living, but you're not living like that? You know why you're living, but you don't have that paradise feeling? You're living in this blocked out, locked out state of existence because there is an angel with a fiery sword and the Lord placed the angel with the fiery sword in the gateway to paradise. And the Bible says that man cannot go back to paradise. The door's locked. So we have to get back in now. For 4,000 years, humanity fought to get back to paradise. Many have fought to get back to paradise without God's advice. Many have tried to get back to paradise on their own. Many have tried to fight the angel. You can't fight the angel. No beer bottle will fight the angel. No drug addiction will get you back through the angel. There's nothing you can do on your own power to get past the angel. He's an angel with a fiery sword. Why do you think entertainment can take you back through the gate into paradise? There's no relationship. There's nothing you can do on your own. There's been people for 4,000 years up to the point where Jesus died for 4,000 years. They tried everything to get back to paradise because humans think that we can get back to paradise. Without God, you might want to talk to the owner of the angel if you want to get back into paradise. Some have taken God's advice. Over the 4,000 years, roughly, between when they were locked out of paradise and Jesus' death and his resurrection, guess what? Over that 4,000 years, some people said, Lord, I want to get back in paradise. God had a people that said, Lord, I kind of like to get back in paradise. And God told those people that if you would submit to me, follow my laws, and do it my way, I will give you a hope that one day a Messiah will come and he will give you a key to get back to paradise. Before the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the followers of God attempted to obey this powerful being in the distance because he wasn't close like he used to be. Now he's far. Because sin separates us from God. And while we are allowed to live, we're just not allowed to live like that anymore. And so they were told their sin could not be erased, but it could be pushed forward. Their sin cannot be erased, and for 4,000 years, roughly, they had to keep obeying God in various ways, obeying laws and commandments and killing animals to take sacrifices because you, you just can't get back in. You're not right. You don't have the key. And all of the animals that were killed were not the keys. They were simply just buying time until the key showed up. And so when you read the Old Testament... You find people just barely getting by. You find people that are still not in paradise. But you find the people who are waiting on the key. So for the last 4,000 years before Jesus, there was really two groups of people. There were people who were trying to get the key on their own and never found it. And people who were promised the key. They were called the Jews. Israel. And the prophets prophesied about a future, a future door 
This is why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man can get back to the Father except through me. Jesus' arrival on the scene is the arrival of a key required to get people back into the paradise that God had originally willed for their life. When he was born in a manger and he grew into a man and did miracles, signs, and wonders and died on a cross and rose again on the third day, it was the beginning of the key that had been prophesied by prophets all the thousands of years previous to this moment. It's an exciting day because finally, finally, finally we can get back into the paradise it's why we're messed up it's why we're miserable it's why people are angry it's why they're upset it's why they're searching because you know you were built for more than just this life you know you were built to be in God's presence you know you're searching and you're looking and you're making up gods and you're calling gods that are not as if they are because you just know something's missing Somebody tell me why people who live in caves thousands of years ago wrote on the walls that there were gods that existed. Who told them that? Who told them there was a supreme being? Who told people who had no education that there was something bigger out there? It's in the spirit of man. You know that something's missing. You know there's more for you. You know this life can't be everything. And you also know that you are locked up. You're locked up up from God and this sparks the key we sinned we trespassed we are separated from him Bible says we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity but before we get angry at God because people get angry at God I'm about to help some of y'all right now who get angry at God before we get angry at God at being so distant from us for locking us out you know, we got people right now that don't believe in walls. They live in homes, they lock their doors, and they keep people out. But they want everybody else to move in. And I think it's a weird day we're living in because people don't know whether they should unlock or lock their doors. But most of us lock our doors. I think we got one family in our church that leaves them unlocked. I'll tell you who they are for $100. You can see me at the church, go steal what you want. No, I can't tell you who they are because they probably start locking their doors. We live in a society now to where we lock our doors and we get mad at God for locking people out. We act like, we act like hypocrites, don't we? God, how come you keep people away from you? How come you're so distant all those years? I thought you loved people before you get mad at God. Remember that time the man was driving down the road that cut you off and he looked at you crazy and he... He counted to one with his middle finger. Remember that time? I'm pretty sure when you pulled up to the light, have you ever had that happen to you? You pull up to the light after all that happened. They raced on, but then the light turned red, and then you had to pull up beside them. It's that awkward three minutes. You're sitting at that light with that dude that you had that altercation with, and you're sitting there, and you don't want to look at him, and he don't want to look at you, but just some, sometimes, sometimes you do look at each other, and you continue the conversation. Is it in your nature when that happens to say, hey, man, I just want to talk to you for a minute, man. Hey, where do you live? What do you like hunting, fishing? Let's be buddies. Is that the first thing you think of? Oh, but, but we get mad at God. 
Yeah, so what, what do you think about that guy that was a drunk driver that killed your mama? Is he coming over for dinner today? I know we got this concept that God is love and God, how come God would ever keep people from a, at a distance? But, but we do the same thing. Before you get mad at God and you say he's some mean person, no, I think it's just natural. Some people just don't connect. Now, it's not that they can't connect. They have to work through some things. Because with offense, here's what offending thing does. When you offend someone... You lock them out. When someone offends you, you lock them out. That's what we do. When somebody hurts you, you, you get them out. You know why you do that? Because you don't want it to keep happening to you, do you? So here's what happens. When we offend, when we trespass, when we sin, we lock a door and say, you can't come back in because I don't want you to keep hurting me. And this is what happens to all of us all the time. And it's the same concept that God has done, is you haven't been fixed yet, so you're locked out. We need to take God off the hot seat today and admit it's simply hard to have a relationship with a selfish person. It's hard to have a relationship. Maybe y'all don't have one of those. Maybe you've never had one, but there are people that are so selfish that it's hard to have a relationship with people that are selfish. Because a relationship takes two people. You know that? This would be good teaching for people that need a better relationship. Relationships require two commitments. And it's hard to have a relationship with someone who is selfish in their nature, that thinks about themselves all the time. And so the problem here is not that God does not want to reconciliate, and not that God does not want to let you in. The problem is, is that people don't want to change. Oh, now that's the problem. Because you see, God is love and God would let you come back. But the problem is, the problem is, we don't want to change to get back into God's presence. It's natural for the offended person to lock out the offender, to, uh, to lock out the offender. It's our most basic defense mechanism to keep ourselves from being hurt again. It's natural, but it's also very selfish because we have also hurt people. We have hurt people. We've all done it. But yet when someone offends us, it's natural to say, but you're not going to hurt me like that. Get out, I'm locking the door. But we've all hurt people. I'm so glad that people have forgiven me. I'm so glad people have let me back in. I'm so glad people have given me the key to get back in. Because if, if that's the way we're going to live, we'll all live independent, sad lives by ourselves. And I'm so thankful that Jesus uses the key of forgiveness at the cross and says, let me give you access back in. He didn't have to do it. He could have said, you don't deserve it. For thousands of years, you've hated me. You've disobeyed obeyed me. You've done wrong to me. I'm so glad that Jesus is not like most people and he unlocks the door. Jesus hanging on the cross. He gives the very thing we need when we want to change and we've made mistakes. He gives forgiveness. Have to have it. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he dies. And the Bible says the veil 
rips in two from top to bottom. Here are some observations that I have made today and I give to you in this message. No one is recorded in the Bible saying they are sorry to Jesus when he forgives them. Now, I want to I help you with some doctrine right now, okay, because there are people confused about forgiveness, and this is the meat of the message today, because I think too many people are confused about Easter. People celebrate forgiveness at Easter, and today we're going to change the story because it's not, it's not in the Word of God. The Bible does not teach us that people were asking for forgiveness. The Bible does not say that anybody was sorrowful. Here's why. Because forgiveness is controlled by the offended person, not the offender. Forgiveness is not in the control of the one who did the act of offense. Forgiveness is in the power of the one who has been hurt. Forgiveness doesn't have to be asked for in order to be given. Can I tell the world today, you don't have to have somebody ask you for forgiveness for you to forgive them because that is yours to give. This is so important today. You have to understand this. Jesus teaches us this. But we all look back on our past and we think about how we were raised. And, and mama said, now you go tell your brother you're sorry. I remember like it was yesterday. And my brother would act like I heard him. He'd slap his leg in the, in, the, in the car trip on the way somewhere, and my mom and dad would say, you tell him you're sorry. I said, mom and dad, I didn't do anything. We heard you hit him. He's back there crying. I didn't do anything. You tell him you're sorry. And I would say, I'm sorry. Of course, you don't mean it. And my brother gets that smug look on his face, like, yeah. I've seen my own kids do it. It's almost like a, a power trip when somebody says, I'm sorry. Yeah, you better be sorry. We were raised in a culture of forgiveness where you have to go ask the person before they give it to you. Why in the world did my parents not tell my brother to forgive me whether I said I was sorry or not? I do not know. But we have trained a generation to wait on the person that did the thing wrong to come find you and say they're sorry before you release the bitterness and release all the anger and release all the things you're holding on to, your grudges. But Jesus taught us at the cross, you don't have to ask for it for me to give it to you this is important because there's people all over the world right now saying I've never asked the Lord to forgive me have you thought about that before we tell people to forgive even when you never see the person again that hurts you because you have to release that but do you think Jesus breaks that that rule do you think Jesus sits back and says, I'll forgive you if you come and tell me you're sorry? Hmm. If sorrow was a prerequisite for forgiveness, then why are the Roman soldiers not sorry? If sorrow is a prerequisite for forgiveness, how come the evil religious people are not sorry? 
If, if you have to be sorry to get forgiveness, uh, where are the mob that was angry, crying, crucify him? Why were they not at the feet of Jesus uh, saying, I'm sorry? Sorrow is not a prerequisite for forgiveness. Let the world know you don't have to be sorry to be forgiven. You don't have to say, I'm sorry to have access. You don't have to say, I did wrong to be forgiven. We have taught people there is no forgiveness until you're sorry. But it's not ringing true with the scriptures. It doesn't even make sense logically in our everyday in and out. I want to help you today. I want to help you because Judas wasn't sorry when he betrayed him. And Peter wasn't sorry when he rejected him. Forgive them, Father. Listen to me. Jesus taught us at the cross that real forgiveness does not have to be asked for. Why? Because forgiveness is not approval. Forgiveness does not mean I like what you did. You can say I forgive you and disagree. Please hear me because I'm teaching right now. But we got to help people that call themselves Christians and celebrate false forgiveness and false salvation. You've got to understand today it's much more than forgiveness. There's two keys to reentry. It's not just the fact that the Lord forgave you. You've got to listen to this teaching right now. You have to hear me because you can be forgiven and still be wrong. Do you hear me? You can be forgiven and still wrong. I have to tell the world right now. I have to tell everybody watching right now. You can be forgiven and continue in your sins. Because that's your choice. It's my choice to forgive you. It's your choice to keep hitting me. I'm supposed to forgive seven times 70. That means there can be repeat offenders. Think about that one. That means you can keep hitting me and I got to keep saying, I forgive you. See, forgiveness is not about the change of the person. It's about the way I view them and the way I give access to them to come back and hit me. Forgiveness gives permission to let them hit you again. Seven times 70. That's forgiveness. I want to break it down like this. When Jesus dies on the cross, and I'm closing now, the veil rips in two from top to bottom. It was a God thing. From the very top to the bottom, it rips in two. The veil is like a, a symbol of the angel with a fiery sword because the average person cannot go through the veil. The average person can't go to the holy place. The average person is locked out. And if the average person tries to get inside God's presence, uh, you would die. And so at the cross, the veil, the blockade, the wall was broken. When he dies at the cross, the way into God's presence is officially opened. 
When he dies on the cross, now you and I, who was locked out of getting to God's presence, we now have access to it because of forgiveness. I am so glad today that Jesus made a way to get back into his presence. Forgiveness gives people a chance. Forgiveness gives you and me a way to get back into God's presence. But while Jesus has turned the key of forgiveness, I must confess, as exciting as it sounds, there's a difference in relocation and reallocation. Because forgiveness does not relocate, it reallocates. Please hear me today. Sinners were not moved into God's presence after the veil was torn. The cross was not about transferring sinners into holy places. Forgiveness doesn't move the offender, it moves the offense. Listen, forgiveness does not move you into holy places. It moves the offense off of you. Please hear me today. You're forgiven, but you don't move during forgiveness. Because forgiveness does not translate you into holy places. Forgiveness takes the thing off of you that keeps you from going to the holy place. There's too many people who think they're saved because they're forgiven. It's a lie. You're deceived. You're forgiven. But that doesn't mean you're holy. Forgiveness does not change where you are. It changes where you can go. I know it's slow getting to the main point. I get you right now. You're wondering where my punchline is, but the point right now is, is the first key we have to have to get back to paradise is forgiveness, but the second key is repentance. Please hear me, denom denominational Christian world. Please hear me, people who you believe in Jesus and you celebrate the, 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 the death and the burial and resurrection and you shout songs of, I'm so glad I've been forgiven and therefore I'm saved. Forgiveness by itself is not enough. You need more than forgiveness. You need repentance. At the cross, Jesus took the sin, the offenses, the hurts, and he suffered all of those things at one moment of all humanity. Because forgiveness moves the penalty off the perpetrator and onto the victim. Forgiveness says, you hurt me, and I'll take it, to, and I won't hurt you back. That's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness says, ouch, that hurts me. But I won't hurt you. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. I release you of what you've done to me. And now we can move on to the final point today, and that is forgiveness is not fellowship either. Forgiveness is not 
fellowship. Please, somebody type it. Wake yourself up right now because I know I've been teaching to you, but you got to make sure you connect to this. Forgiveness is not fellowship. In order to be around someone, you have to be able to forgive them. But in order to be friends with someone, you have to be willing to stop hurting them. You know it's true. You can forgive people all day long, but that doesn't mean they're eating at your table. There's a difference in forgiveness and fellowship. We are commanded to forgive seven times 70 to love our enemies, but all of these acts are a result of our love for them, not their love for us. We do this because we love them, but that doesn't mean they love us. Every healthy relationship takes two committed parties. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you all over the world and online right now, every church member, I submit to you right now, is it possible that you can be forgiven and far away from God at the same time? You see, in order for the reentry to paradise to work, uh, we need more than forgiveness. Uh, we have to have the repentance. Uh, and that's why Peter at Pentecost uh, did not preach, uh, every one of you, be forgiven in the name of... On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached a salvation message of being born again of the water and the Spirit. And Peter never said, be forgiven. Because they were already forgiven. They were already forgiven. They already have access to God. They already have a way in that they want to get in. If you want to get in, you can get in right now. Because you've already been forgiven. You've already been forgiven out there right now. At your couch. At your house. Right now. You have a gateway. You've got a access to God. You've already been forgiven. You just have to repent. The woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was told to go and sin no more. You've got to stop. You can't keep sinning and, and be in fellowship. You can't keep sinning and be saved. Forgiveness is not salvation. Please, everybody hear me. You don't need to believe the lie. You're going to be shocked one day when you get up there to judgment and you say, but God, I was forgiven. He says, that's right, but depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, you're forgiven, but you have no fellowship with me. This is important that we hear this today on this Easter there are people that are loved from a distance because they refuse to stop offending us as we love them. Have you ever had somebody in your life use the I'm sorry phrase just to get more space close to you to hurt you again? Because we have abused the phrase I am sorry in our culture. Would you rather have somebody say they're sorry or stop hurting you? Listen, answer the question right now. Would you rather have somebody keep saying they're sorry or stop having to? Yeah. You and I would rather someone stop abusing the phrase, I'm sorry, and stop having to say it. But we live in a culture where you can keep hitting somebody because they've got to say they're sorry. That's fine. You can be forgiven, but you won't have fellowship.
until you repent of your ways and turn from them. There is no salvation. There is no fellowship. What is sorrow? Sorrow is the power to stop. And this is why the Bible uses the phrase sorrow under repentance and not sorrow under forgiveness. The Bible does not teach sorrow under forgiveness. It teaches sorrow unto repentance. If you're truly sorry, you change. I need to say it clearly today because people all the time run to altars and run to prayer closets and they say these words to God as if he can't read your mind, as if he's crazy or dumb. We say this, God, I'm sorry, but we don't change. So you're not sorry if you don't repent. Forgiveness is God's part. Repentance is our part. Forgiveness will get humanity into God. <laughs> Listen, this is important. Forgiveness will get us past the veil into God. But repentance will get God into us. Forgiveness lets the people get back into the presence of God. But only repentance lets the God get into the people. I hope you're hearing me today when I tell you, you've got to repent to get the God that you love his presence inside of you. That's why the Bible says when you repent, you can receive the presence of God that's in your atmosphere, into your spirit. We have to repent to be saved. Shout about the cross all you want on Easter weekend. Shout about how much freedom that you have to go to God. But forgiveness in and of itself is not good enough. It's not the full plan of salvation. The cross is not a symbol of position. The cross is a symbol of potential. Wear that cross all day long. It does not mean you're saved. It means you can be. Well, you must be saved. You have a cross on your neck. You have a cross in your car. That doesn't mean you're saved. It means you can. You were saved. You were, you were saved when you were forgiven. You were given access to salvation. That's what you got when you were forgiven. You were given access to your salvation. And it couldn't be today. Is it possible today? There are forgiven people in hell. Is it possible today? There are people burning in hell that are forgiven. I know there's people I've forgiven that I don't want to hang out with them. You know why? Because they might hurt me. But I forgive them. I love them. But we're not close. We need to help every believer today understand. Peter told the first church on the first message to repent, turn to God, be baptized, every one of you in the, 
name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the spirit that you talk about being around all the time. It's the will of God for every one of us. So please today stop saying you have received his forgiveness if you won't repent and change your lifestyle. Because it takes two keys to get back into paradise. Whenever there's a nuclear bomb that's going to be activated, I know many of you who have probably seen it before, you've probably seen some clips, some movies, some video where the president comes out, he's got his special key on. And the general comes out, he's got his key on. They require two keys. You know why they require two keys? Because it's too powerful to just have one key. You can't just give the power of nuclear explosion to one key. That kind of unlocking power requires two people to join up. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And at the same time, activate. Before the power of that bomb can be unlocked, government has a failsafe to make sure two keys are required before the power can be released. And I feel like today in this place, the same is true for each of us. Right now, Jesus holds the key of forgiveness in his hand. And he is primed and ready to forgive you're forgiven. The key is ready. The question today, if the power is going to be unlocked in your life, if the power of the Holy Ghost is going to flow through you, the question today is not are you forgiven. The question is will you repent? This is your key. Ladies and gentlemen, men, women, and children, I rise on this Easter service telling you I'm happy about forgiveness, but I'm not happy about people's lack of repentance. The coronavirus is all over this world right now, and we are at Easter, and we're all saying, I'm so glad I'm forgiven. I'm so glad he's out of the grave, but I don't want just Jesus out of the grave. I want Jesus in the hearts of every person in this world. It's time for every believer in the world to receive the Holy Ghost. It's time for every person who claims they're saved because they're forgiven to repent and change their ways. Follow the word of God and make sure you humble yourself before him and live every commandment in the word of God. Forgiveness isn't enough. Forgiveness is not enough. Forgiveness is not enough. Forgiveness is a door that's been opened. Forgiveness is not you walking through the door. Forgiveness is a, a, a God on a cross with arms wide open saying, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. Let him come unto me. Does anybody want to go? Does anybody want to get out? Because in order to go through the veil, in order for you to get the spirit behind the veil, inside of your tabernacle, you have got to repent. Like Peter said, you must repent and turn to God.
and turn from your wicked ways. Lord, I pray for every person who has shouted about forgiveness but never repented. I pray, God, they would pause their celebration and understand why am I celebrating when I have not changed? What good is his sacrifice if I have not walked through the door he has opened? What good is Easter if I have not taken advantage of the key that has been handed to me? Oh, God, I pray right now, let every eye of deceit be opened up, every wool of veil over every eye today, while people by the millions are online and they're getting told, you're forgiven, therefore you're saved. It's not doctrinal. It's not the Word of God. It's not right. Unless this generation repents, the cross is in vain. God, Maybe this is why Paul said, let a man search himself when he remembers your body on the cross. That he not take this blood, this cup, that he not take this bread unworthily. Maybe that's why, that's why the Bible teaches we're supposed to check our heart. Even though we're forgiven, we might not be right. I want everyone right now listening to me to please Take the key of forgiveness that's been handed to you and please take the key of repentance that you have in your power and please turn them on at the same time because only then, only then will you truly be saved. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that in the upper room they were filled with the Holy Ghost because they had repented and they had, they had already been forgiven. And the Bible says they began to speak with an unknown language as the Spirit filled them up. I don't know how you know you have the Holy Ghost, but I know 120 believers in the book of Acts chapter 2, they knew they had it because they spoke in other tongues. I don't know how you know you've got it, but that's how I know I've got it. And everybody right now in every living room across every, every state and every nation, you better make sure you get more than forgiveness on Easter. You better make sure you get repentance and you get baptized somewhere in Jesus' name today. You better make sure you get the Holy Ghost living inside of you because that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave shall quicken your mortal bodies and you shall rise up to meet him in the air, not because you're in his presence but because he is in your presence God I pray against the deceit of hundred a hundred years of preachers and pastors telling people come be saved because you're forgiven it's not the doctrine it's not the truth it doesn't even make sense there's no fellowship unless there is repentance In the name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, let people understand the reason why they're forgiven and have no power is because they won't repent and turn their life to God. God, let every Christian believer right now that thinks, I've been forgiven, but I don't feel changed. I've forgiven, but I don't think I'm different. Please, God, let them hear me today when I tell them the reason why they're forgiven, but they have no anointing and they have no power is because because they will not repent. They will not repent. 
They won't say, I'm wrong. They won't say, I am sorrowful unto repentance. How many more people have to go to hell forgiven? How many more people have to go to hell one of the worst things in the world is to be in hell knowing you could have walked through the door. One of the worst things in the world is to go into eternity and think the rest of your eternity, man, I missed it. I was forgiven and I could have got saved. I could have made it right. God said, if you want to come back, you can. But I sat there in my sin, and I sat there in my ways, and I sat there in my addictions, and I sat there in my selfishness, and I did not go through the door that the cross opened up. Then why did he die? He said, no man can come except through me. He died. He made a way. But you got to go. You got to get up. You got to start to pray right now wherever you are. You got to start to pray. You got to start to clean out some things in your life. You got to make sure you've got a pastor who preaches the word of God. You got to make sure you line up with the word of God. Stop thinking you're saved because you're forgiven. You're not. Sounds good. Preach is good. But does it make sense in real life? God wants fellowship with us. That's why, that's why he lets us live outside of paradise. Because he's hoping we'll change. He's hoping we'll come back the right way. He's hoping we'll come back and stop eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's hoping we'll catch it, repent, so we can have fellowship again. I know today I have taken a lot of your time. This is Easter, a most holy day. You didn't have to spend time driving to church, so you should take some time right now listening to me and praying. In the name of Jesus. Are there any eyes that feel like crying? Are there any eyes that feel like breaking forth and hold, not holding back? Are there any people listening to me right now that you have realized today it's not good enough to receive forgiveness? I must turn my heart, my mind, my ways to Jesus Christ. My wife's going to sing, and I want us to take a moment in every home, in every place, and I want us to find a place of prayer in the name of Jesus. Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is called. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus' name. Have you come to the end of self? Oh, Jesus' name. Do you thirst for a drink from nowhere? Oh, God, help us. Jesus is called. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the gate that's open. Oh, come to, oh, come to. Come the Come on, the arms are open wide right now, wherever you are. You can come in. 
you can go in. Now let him in. He's letting you in, but will you let him in? Oh, God, help us today. Thank you, Lord. Bring your sorrow and trade in the joy. From the ash and the new life is born. Jesus is calling. God, we repent right now. We repent right now, Jesus. I can come to you now, Lord. Was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh God, we can come to you now, Lord. You're giving us a chance, a second chance. Because of forgiveness, we can make our way back into your presence. Oh, what a Savior! <laughs> Isn't he wonderful? <laughs> Christ is risen. Bow down before him. Oh, Jesus, we need you, Lord. For he is Lord of Oh, thank you, God. Sing hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Christ is risen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Oh, thank you, God. Thank Tell you. the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is coming. So oh, thank soon. you, Jesus. Speak to us right now, Holy Ghost. Oh, just lay the world aside. Speak to us, Holy Ghost. Let it wash. Oh. Oh. Jesus is come. Oh, Jesus, He's thank you. Soon. Oh, God. Let every forgiven person do more. I ask you right now, what will you do with your forgiveness? You can waste it, you can set it aside. Or you can walk through the veil. You can walk through the veil that's been ripped to pieces. You didn't, you didn't used to be able to get to God to find your change, but now you can because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' death, because he lives again. You can live again in the newness of life, but you must go and sin no more. He will give you the power to live a sin-free life. But you must go. You must change. You must do everything in your power. That's all he's asking today.
to not let his cross, his death be in vain, not let everything he gave to us be a waste. The cross is so cheap without change. The cross is so cheap without sacrifice. This is why the Bible says for us to take up our own cross daily and follow him. If it was free, if forgiveness freed you completely, then there'd be no commandments. There'd be no, there'd be no laws of grace to follow. There'd be nothing. But continually, the Bible says there's so much for us to do and to be. And forgiveness gives us the access to doing and to being because of the power of the Holy Ghost that we can now receive in our own personal upper room experience. Forgiveness gets us into God's presence, but only repentance gets God's presence into us. Are you tired of being around God and not having God? Are you a believer that hasn't finished the plan of salvation? Are you tired of being around your God but never feeling your God? Are you tired of being around Him, of being past the veil, but never having Him past your veil? If you want the presence of God to come into your body, you've got to break open your veil on your cross. You've got to sacrifice yourself and give your life. You've got to say, Lord, you gave yourself to me. I will now give myself to you. I know the veil is open for his temple. Is the veil open for your temple? I know that you can get to him. But now the question today is, can he get to you? I know you've got time on this Easter. Holy Ghost, feel somebody right now. I speak and command in the name of Jesus uh, where my voice goes. Uh, let people lift their hands up uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, let them receive your spirit right now all over the world in the name of Jesus. Let every person hearing my voice uh, hear me right now and receive the Holy Ghost. Oh, God. repent, I turn my life to you. Oh, Jesus' name. If you're not making changes, then the Holy Ghost can't come in. If you're not letting your flesh break, does God have access? To you, it's only right that, that he gave access to you. Can you give access to him? Is Easter only about him being good to us? Or maybe today, maybe we can change it up a little bit. And today it can be about us being good to him. 
I don't have to take his cross. I have to take my cross. And my cross is better than his cross because he took the sin of the world. I think it's an easy trade today that I let him in. The church has to tell the world, you need more than forgiveness. You need repentance. I repent, God, I turn my life to you, Jesus. With tears in my face and my heart open up before you, I, I know you have gained access. You've given access to me. I give you access. I give you access. Won't you say that right now, wherever you are? Won't you tell the Lord, thank you for giving me access, but today, God, I commit. Today, I turn my key and I give you access. It does not matter that one key works. Both must work to unlock the power of the Holy Ghost. Let our family hear this message, God. Let our friends hear this message, God. I don't want anybody to be deceived. Swimming around in forgiveness, but never rising up to true power and anointing. <laughs> Let it not be so with any believer that hears this word today. You must repent. You must break yourself open and give God access to control and obedience. Speak to me, Lord, and let me go where you tell me. I know some of you are in holiness, but it's holiness in you. I know some of you walk in the peace, but it's the peace walking in you. I know some of you are in the joy, but it's the joy in you. Because that's when you know that you have forgiveness, but you don't have repentance. Who am I talking to right now? That you have religion, but no relationship. You go to church, you eat your crackers and drink your juice, but you really have no power. Oh, Jesus, it's not the will of God. Paradise is the will of God. Getting back to the original plan is... Uh, the angel's out of the way, but are you going to keep eating the fruit? You're going to keep getting kicked out. I repent, Lord. I repent right now, Jesus. We love you all. God bless you all. Please make changes today in your homes. Please make changes in your hearts. It is not good enough for us to look at the cross and thank him for his sacrifice without giving our own sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. If you've received the Holy Ghost today, please notify us and let us know. I believe there are people who have received the Holy Ghost today. If you have not, I believe you can right now. Right now. 
Thank you, Jesus.